I don't know. Uh, it's good. Uh, it's so good for me uh, to just come regularly before God uh, to open up, not just on Sunday morning, but to open up his word and just be encountered with a God who is really there, a God who is good, a God who is mighty and powerful and loving, and a God who is near all at the same time. And so uh, I, I just come into today um, recognizing that uh, some of you walk in maybe at one of a, the lower points in your life. Like a lot of times we kind of, we, we kind of gloss over that, and it's easy for me. My life usually goes pretty swell. Uh, and so it's easy for me to, to, to kind of forget about how some people's lives are just hard a lot of times. And maybe that's you right now where you feel like everything's just kind of messed up. Like, like nothing is going as you plan. Like if you envision your life at this stage, this is not how you expected it to be. You ever, you ever think that? Like you ever just pause and reflect a little bit? Maybe, maybe it's like thinking, man, I'm, I'm single and I thought I'd be married by now. Or I'm married and I thought it would be better than it is. Or maybe it's, uh, I've had all this joy and this expectation of what it would be like to be a parent, and now I'm a parent, and it's hard. Work? Well, that seems sometimes dull and sometimes demanding and very rarely satisfying. And so, you know, so I don't know how you're feeling. Maybe you feel like you're going through some motions, but you just don't feel close to God. You're not sure He feels close to you. Maybe you're just lonely. Like you have people that you would call friends and they would call you a friend, but you don't even know if they really know you. You feel like God's given you chances and you've blown it. You feel stuck. You feel trapped. Life is hard. And for some of you, you've cried out for help. And maybe it's not just been like, oh, I prayed that one time. It's been, I've been praying for months now, maybe even years. And it seems like stuff isn't turning around. And so that's where some of you, some of us today, come together. And I'm glad that you're here today because what we're going to see as we look at Exodus chapter 3 is I think what really all of us need to see. And that is that we have a God who reveals Himself as a holy and covenant-keeping God who has a plan to deliver His people. We're going to encounter that God here in Exodus chapter 3 today. And I think that's probably exactly what a lot of us need. And so, if you're able to, let's get right into it and read Exodus chapter 3. Please stand. We've been walking through the book of Exodus. Got through chapter 1 a couple weeks ago. Chad got us through chapter 2 last week. And now today, we're in Exodus chapter 3. We're just going to do the first 10 verses. And God's Word says this. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God 
called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so thankful for your word. And we pray now that just as Moses was able to encounter you and to hear your voice speak to him from a burning bush, I'm thankful that we don't need to come before and wait 40 years in the wilderness to hear you speak from a burning bush, but that we have your very word, inspired every word of it by your Holy Spirit and recorded for us, for our instruction to encourage us this day, and I pray that you would be at work by your Spirit doing that even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and be seated. God reveals Himself. If you got your bulletin with you, that sermon notes page, life application guide uh, might be helpful. Uh, I realize that a number of the life groups are not meeting this week, but I told my life group on Friday Like, I I put some time into putting this life group guide together, and I think it could be really helpful. And then I realized, oh, wait, I don't know if anybody's going to use it. Uh, But I spent like an hour. We got some groups tonight, two groups tonight. If the rest of you, just humor me, not even just for me, just do this. I think it will be helpful for you to use that life group guide, maybe even just within your own family this week. Um, So, two points. Verses 1 to 6, God reveals himself. Just a little bit of context for us to remind us of where we've been. In Exodus chapter 1, we saw that God's people were in a tough spot. That's why they are in Egypt, because they had been in the land further north that God had given to them, but there was a famine in that land, and so they needed to flee and become refugees down in the land of Egypt. In Egypt, God continued to be faithful to them. And he fulfilled his promises to them in so many ways. Over and over again in chapter 1, we saw the phrase, but they were fruitful and multiplied. But they were fruitful and multiplied. And, 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 and Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, started oppressing them in a number of ways and eventually enslaving them. And then started carrying out, trying to carry out death threats against these people. He was scared that they would continue to grow, but God continued to be faithful in spite of slavery and death threats and everything else. 
And then we got to chapter 2, and Chad walked us through that last week. And really, we get kind of Moses' life timeline in chapter 2. We got to go to the book of Acts to learn more about how old he was at these times. But here in Exodus chapter 2, we found that Moses was a man born to a Hebrew, which at that time was not a good thing to be born to if you were a boy. Because you might remember that in chapter 1, it ended by Pharaoh saying, every Hebrew boy that is born will be thrown in the Nile River. Gave permission to everybody to go ahead and do that. Egyptians, you see a Hebrew baby boy, take him and throw him in the river. And so uh, Moses, born to a Levite man and a Levite woman, being a Hebrew boy, his parents care for him by putting him in a little basket and setting him in the river and, and, and praying, I assume, that God would do something. And God provides by sending of all people, the very Pharaoh who had made this command, his daughter is the one who sees this little baby. Ends up in the end adopting this baby, naming him Moses, for she drew him out of the water, and that's what his name means. And he is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Egypt. And after 40 years, so you see his life probably privileged in many ways, being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. But we also saw in in chapter 2 that he ends up murdering an Egyptian around age 40. And so he needs to flee. He gets out of Egypt, away from the people of his birth and the people that adopted him, and he flees to Midian. Meets a lady over there, gets married, and they have a son. And so that's where we left off in chapter 2, except for the last couple verses of chapter 2 said this. That God's people in Egypt cry out to God for help. So all of a sudden in chapter 2, chapter 1 you had the picture of God's people. Chapter 2 we zoom in to the life of Moses. And then at the end of chapter 2 we're reminded, but still, Moses, he got adopted. Things are well for him, but everybody else still enslaved in Egypt, and they're crying out to God for help. And so that's how we ended chapter 2, and that sets the stage for chapter 3. And you can imagine the tension, because it's hard to, to see as we read through this, but the timing, it's been over 400 years now that God's people have been in slavery by this time. Don't you suppose that that this would be the kind of time when people who have maybe cried out to God in the midst of their despair, in the midst of everything that was crushing them, don't you think that they might expect that God would have answered their prayers by now? Do you think they might be wondering, is God really there? Does, Does God really care for us? Are we really His people? I remember hearing stories of how He made a covenant with our our forefather Abraham, and that he promised to make us into a great nation, that he'd be our God, we'd be his people, we'd be a light to people. But it sure doesn't seem like that, because here we are in Egypt, and we're slaves. I wonder if they wondered if God was still there, and if God still cared about them. And they cried out to God, we saw at the end of chapter 2. And we start to see how this tension is going to get released a little bit by bringing these two together. We've got this guy named Moses. What does he have to do with anything? And we have the people in slavery, and we have their God. And in chapter 3, we're going to see how all these are connected. And so, verse 1. Verse 1 takes us to Midian. Remember, Moses had fled there, and we learn from the book of Acts that at this point, Moses is now 80. 
So for 40 years, Moses, raised in privilege in, by Pharaoh's daughter and, and living kind of the life in Egypt, not living in slavery like the rest of his people, he, is, he murders a man and he flees to Midian. He has a son, and, and look at what he's doing now. He's taking care of sheep, and they're not even his own. He's taking care of his father-in-law's flock, right? Hasn't even made it for himself yet by age 80. Moses, keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Just a kind of foreshadowing here, we're going to hear a lot more about the mountain in the chapters to come here in the book of Exodus. But this is where Moses is, just taking care of sheep. Verses 2 and 3, he sees something curious. Here it says, An angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire and out of the midst of a bush. And the strange thing is, this bush is on fire, it's burning, but it never gets burned up. And so Moses, being curious, says to himself, or maybe out loud, because shepherds probably just talked out loud, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. What is going on? Over here. Again, uh, I told you the mountain's going to show up again and again in the book of Exodus. The flame or fire is going to show up again and again in the book of Exodus. And when we see the fire, we are seeing the presence of God. Yeah, I don't think that Moses knows quite yet that that is what's going on. But he just sees something quite curious. There's a bush that's burning and it never gets burnt up. He's just taking care of sheep. But then this happens, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Imagine that. 80-year-old murderer taking care of your father-in-law's sheep in the land of Midian, far from the people who raised you, far from the people that you were born into. (laughs) And here, out of a bush that's burning, you hear your name. There's God saying, Moses, Moses. I wonder what Moses' tone of voice was when he responded, here I am. Right? (laughs) Huh. Here I am, he says. And before we move to see what happens next, because I want to, we're going to learn more about this God who's revealing himself to Moses. But before we get there, just a quick point of application. I think it would be this. That God calls, by name, people who messed up. God calls, by name, people who messed up. You may have run away from him and his people, you're doing everything wrong. Or maybe maybe now you're trying to get it together, but there was a time where you were doing everything wrong. But isn't it good to know that we have a God who calls people who have messed up by name? Let's go on. I want to learn more about this God. Verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Then he said, Do not come near. This is God speaking out of the bush. He says Moses' name, Moses, Moses, and then he says this, Do not come near. 
take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. We learn something more about this God who is revealing himself to Moses and to us, that he is a holy God. And Moses, as a sinner, does not have the right to come into his presence. And so God says, take the sandals off your feet. For the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Right? That's a humbling thing for him to do. To recognize that this God who just called him by name is also a holy God. And so this God who called him by name says to him, do not come near. Moses the sinner cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. He cannot come near to him on his own. And so God tells him that. God lovingly warns him, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. Even the ground around this bush that's burning is holy. And so we have a God who is not just personal, a God who is also holy And maybe a quick point of application is this. God has not changed. He's still that holy. Sinful people still cannot stand in the presence of a God as holy as our God. He's still that holy. But look at verse 6. He keeps speaking and he says to Moses this. I am the God of your father. He must be referring to his biological father. And then he calls himself this. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. But you see how God's revealing himself here. He says, I am. And then he tells him who he is. He's not just some Egyptian God that Moses was undoubtedly exposed to during his time in Egypt. He's not the God of the people of Midian. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God who made a covenant with all the people on the earth. He picked one man, the man named Abram. And he called him and said, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you a land and you're going to be a light to those around you. That God is the one who is now talking to Moses. The God who has not forgotten his people. Who for 400 years have been in slavery, maybe now wondering, is God still there? Does God still care? I thought we were his people and God now is revealing himself interestingly, not to all the people who had just cried out to him, but to one guy named Moses who's living in a different place. And God comes to him and reveals himself as a God who keeps covenant. Remember me? I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses, knowing that this is the one true God, hides his face. He's afraid to even look at him. I assume he might be replaying in his mind his years of walking away from God and walking away from his people. Maybe maybe. The murder that he committed is going through his mind at this point. I don't know. But he's afraid to look at God. The God who told him, do not come near. Even the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. So maybe a point of application for us from this would be this. Whatever your situation looks like, know this. God is 
here. We have a personal God who calls people who have messed up by name. He's a holy God, and he's a covenant-keeping God. This is good news. And we're going to get a little bit more of a glimpse of this God as we see him reveal his plan. This is the second point, verses 7 to 10. And I want to break it up by looking at 7 and 9 first, and then 8 and 10, because there's parallelism happening here. And so look at verses 7 and 9. It says this, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Remember, he's saying this to Moses out of a burning bush. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And then in verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Now, this is an echo. Remember uh, last week when Chad preached in Exodus chapter 2, he read the last verses of Exodus 2. If you've got your Bible open, just turn back there for a moment. The people are crying out in verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And listen to what it says. Note the language here. Verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That's what we're told at the end of chapter 2. And now here in chapter 3, we see that God once again, revealing Himself to Moses as the God who sees. My people are struggling, and I see their affliction. My people are crying out to me, and I hear their cry. My people are suffering, and I know all about it. We learn more about God there in verses 7 through 10, don't we? That He is a God who sees and knows your suffering, and a God who hears your cry. And you might not be in slavery. I know you're not in slavery in Egypt. We're gathered here in Iowa Falls. But you might be one of those people that I mentioned at the beginning that's looking at life and thinking, this is not how I expected it to be. This was not my plan. And so you have cried out to God, and you need to know this, that God knows your suffering. He sees your affliction, and He hears your cry. That God is still here. Now, verses 8 and 10, he gets a little more specific with his plan. And so let's look at those two verses. He says this first, I have come down to deliver. Oh, aren't those beautiful words? God says, I've seen you. I've, I've seen your situation. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land, and he's going to put them in a better one. God has a good plan for his people. And so he says, I'm coming down to deliver. And then in verse 10, you're wondering, okay, so why is he telling all this to Moses, the guy living in Midian who's a murderer who's been fleeing from what might happen to him if he would have stayed in Egypt? Why is God telling him this plan? Well, we see how Moses fits in in verse 10. Come. God says, I will send you 
to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God's plan is to deliver his people and he's going to do it through a deliverer. He is sending one from a different place and sending him to go and deliver his people. And Moses is the man, maybe a bit of a surprise that he would choose him. But now we see how chapters 1 and 2 all start coming together. We've got the desperate situation of God's people, and at the end of chapter 2 they're crying out, but in the middle of chapter 2 we've got this life of Moses, and here's how they all fit together. God's going to rescue his people and answer their prayer and deliver them by sending Moses the deliverer. bit of application to close. And first, application for those who feel far from God. There are those with us today who recognize that you are far from God. And maybe it wasn't all that encouraging for you to hear God's word to Moses where God said to him, Do not come near. And maybe for you to hear the news that we worship a holy God in whose presence sinners cannot stand. Maybe you hear that and you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound good to me because I know myself, I know my sin, and if that God is as holy as you say He is, I cannot stand in His presence. And I'm hearing His voice saying now to me, do not come near, but. There's something, that, remember, the holiness of God has not changed. He, God didn't, like, lower his standards. He didn't look at our culture and be like, well, you know what? Americans are pretty messed up, and these guys are doing pretty good for Americans. Right? Our God does not change. And so our God is as holy as he's always been. But we can now draw near to him. And how is that, that we, as sinners, can draw near to God? Well, over 3,000 years after the time of Moses, God would send someone better than Moses. God was planning to send a deliverer to free his people from their slavery to sin. And so we read this about him in Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. How is it that sinful people can draw near to a holy God? It's through Jesus, and He is able to save anybody, even the worst of sinners, who draw near to God, not on their own, not thinking, I'm going to get my life together enough so that I can come and be before God. I'm going to just clean stuff up. I'm going to try harder now. But no, it's people who come and draw near to God through Christ, who recognize that what Christ has done is exactly what we need, that Christ has lived the life that we failed to live and died the death that we deserve to die, and it's only through Him that we can come into the presence of God. 
And so some of you, that's, that's where you're feeling this morning. You're feeling far from God, but you're feeling a desire to draw near to God. That's some of you this morning. I'll just say that what Scripture says is that we draw near to God through Christ, through faith in Him. And so, so if that's you, I'm, gonna, I'm not closing in prayer, but I want to pray so that some of you might, might be wanting to pray with me, to know, like, well, how do I approach that holy God? If I'm far from Him, I know I'm a sinner, and I want to be near to God, but how do I draw near to Him? You could pray something like this, and you can do it right along with me. You could pray, Father, I recognize that maybe I didn't murder somebody like Moses, but I've messed up time and time again. You've given me chances. People have loved me and cared for me, and I've blown it. I know enough to know right and wrong, and I know that often I choose wrong. I know my attitudes and my thoughts are often wrong. And I know because of that, that I cannot stand on my own in your presence. But I thank you that you sent a deliverer, that you sent your son, Jesus, to live a perfect life that I'm trying to live, but I can't, and that you sent him to die on the cross so that the penalty for my sin falls on him instead of me, and so that I, who have a record that's dirty, can be given the perfect righteousness of Christ so that now I can stand in your presence. I believe that what he accomplished on the cross was enough. And so I put my faith in him and I draw near to you, not on my own power, but through Christ and through Christ alone. I want to live as a follower of Jesus, submitting to him in every way in my life. God, I need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the kind of prayer that you would pray if you recognize that you're in that situation. Far from God and unable to to draw near to him on your own. That's called putting your faith in Christ. That's called being saved. And if that's something that you, you know, even as I was praying through that, you're, you're thinking that as well, you're praying through that as well, I'd love to talk to you more about that this week. Talk to somebody about that. But I want to close with one application point for those of you who do trust in Jesus. I want to talk to believers whose life is hard right now. Is that you? You trust in Christ and you've drawn near to God through Him. But life is just hard right now. I want you to know this. That God is here. And God has a plan. You've heard this sprinkled throughout the sermon. But I want you to know, first of all, God hears your cry. Are you praying? And, and, and if, you're, if you're having a hard time believing that God is there and that He has a plan having a hard time praying, then ask brothers and sisters in Christ around you, pray for me. It's hard right now. I just need to know this. Pray for me. Pray with me. And you need to pray and ask God, God, help me to see this. Cry out to God as the people of Israel were doing. Still 400 years later, they're still doing it. Right? Cry out to God because God hears your cry. And know this, 
that God is really here. You don't have to wait for Him to speak to you out of a burning bush. He speaks to us through His Word, and so you, we have great access to it. You can open it, you can read it, and you can know of God's presence as you open up His Word. And then you need to know this, that God has a plan to deliver. See, God has already sent His Son one time. He sent His Son to die that He might take the penalty that we deserve. Right? And so we know that God has already been faithful to keep His promise. He has sent His Son to take the penalty for our sin. And when His Son ascended into heaven, on all those who trusted in Him, He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So we not only are free from the penalty of sin, we are free from the power of sin over us because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. God has a plan to deliver, and you know what? His plan's not even complete yet. Because the God who promised all of these things to Abraham is the same God who promised that His Son will come again. And He will deliver us, not just from the penalty and power of sin, we've already been delivered from that, but He will one day deliver us from even the presence of sin. It says it like this in Revelation. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne has said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are that God still that you are a God who comes and calls out people who have messed up, who have had a chance and blown it. That you come and you call them by name. But that you also remind us that you're a holy God and we can't come into your presence on our own, but you're a God who keeps covenant. You have not forgotten. You hear. You know. You see. That you are a God who has a plan to deliver and it is through your Son whom you have sent to deliver us from the penalty that we deserve for our sin, from the power that sin holds over us. And so for those who are sitting in here this morning, feeling the weight of their sin, I pray that they would find release for that at the cross of Christ. That they would give themselves to Him. That they would experience the redemption that comes through Christ and through Christ alone. That they would be freed once and for all from the penalty of sin, justified, declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in Christ. That they would live no longer under the power of sin, but under the power of your Spirit who dwells in them. And God, we long for the day when your Son returns, when there shall be no more mourning, nor death, nor crying, nor pain anymore, and He comes to make all things new. We long for that day. You are a mighty God who has fulfilled every one of your promises, some yet to be fulfilled, but we know that you are faithful and you are mighty and you are powerful. God, I pray that you'd help us to submit ourselves gladly to you this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able to, go ahead and stand and we will sing a closing song that reminds us again of the power of our God.